This month, Brick Moon Fiction is going pure fantasy. We'll be bringing you four stories all set in the world of familiars, the creatures that act as sidekicks to the more popular inhabitants of the world of the fantastic, typically wizards and witches. First up is Lauren A. Forey's The Other One. Brick Moon Fiction presents The Other One by Lauren A. Forey, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. The net wrapped around his body, ensnaring his wings and tangling his legs. Pinklewicket screeched and thrashed at the knotted ropes until something snapped in his wing. Pain and the threat of more stilled him. The woman lugged him over her shoulder, and he hooted pitifully, watching his woods recede as her steps carried him to the other side of the field. The crunch of gravel sounded under her heavy boots, and the edge of a gray parking lot appeared, marking the end of the field. She unlocked a car and dumped Pinklewicket onto the front seat of a foul-smelling vehicle. A truck, he thought, based on his height from the ground, with the view of the quickly changing orange sky through a bug-splattered windshield. The strong scent of chickens emanated from the upholstery, and Pinklewicket snapped his beak at the thought of sharing space with such an ignoble bird until the throbbing in his wing sobered him. He spent the remainder of the journey curled in a ball, a quiet, unassuming lump of feathers. He paid little attention to the journey. When one could fly, roads meant little. But he'd mustered the strength to view his surroundings when the truck halted and his netted prison carried from the vehicle. They'd traveled to a different wood, from the smell on the wind not too far, but one he could not identify from an angle so low to the ground. His captor brought him into a stone cabin, a fire already burning, and set him on a wooden table. A knife glinted in her hand, and he flinched, waiting for the final cut. But the net fell, the cord sliced. Though free, he remained too stunned to move and looked into his captor's face, thinking maybe it had been Alyssa all along, this another of her jokes. But though the face seemed familiar, her brown eyes remained unknown. Let me see your wing. Thin lips concealed near-perfect teeth, a contrast to the greasy blonde hair gathered in a falling ponytail low on her head. He decided not to move. I know who you are, Pinklewicket, and I know you understand me. Show me your wing. A long-haired ginger cat leapt onto the sideboard, examining him with clouded amber eyes. And then he knew. You're the other one. The other one from Kennebunkport. The quiver in his voice disgusted him, but she drew no attention to his weakness. She held out her hand. May I see your wing, please? He hesitated. Your injury was an accident. Let me fix it. He glanced at the cat, whose only movement was a flick of its tail, then cautiously turned the wing towards her. He knew without trying that he could not stretch it out. Her hands hovered over him without touching. If I heal you, will you promise not to fly away until you hear what I have to say? Some deal, considering you're the reason it's broken in the first place. He swore he heard the cat laugh, but when he looked at it, it was silent. Fair point. How about I add a meal to the bargain? From seemingly nowhere, she produced a mouse. The cat sat on its haunches, a jealous look in its eye. Fair, he agreed, if only to annoy the cat. The other one, as Alyssa always called her, tossed him the mouse, and he ate greedily, his earlier hunt having been, after all, interrupted. When he finished, she did as she promised. He flexed his heeled wing, tenderly at first, then decided to give her a fright by doing a test flight around the room. He glided towards the window, then pivoted and returned to the table, landing gracefully with talons prominently displayed. You're quite agile for an owl. You shouldn't underestimate us. I don't. He picked a bug from his feathers, then fluttered his wings. You wanted to have a talk. Go on, talk. 
I have other business to attend to outside of my own kidnapping. She pursed her lips, then switched on an electric kettle. I've been wanting to speak to her and you both, preferably at the same time. She keeps refusing, so I thought I'd talk to you first. Yes, very thoughtful of you, ripping me out of the sky like that. Would you have come had I asked? She says we're to stay away from you. We're family. Not anymore. The retort came quickly, unbidden, spoken before he even knew it was a thought, and it confused him. Alyssa had never mentioned their connection. He should be surprised, not affronted. How had he known? The other one leaned forward on the counter, head bowed, and Pinklewicket thought of feeling sorry for her, but decided to change his mind. Whatever the source of the animosity, he knew to whose side he belonged. He hopped from the table to the counter, settling near her elbow. He cocked his head to the side. Alyssa doesn't bother with you, for good or ill, so don't bother with us. Seems a fair enough trade. She laughed, and he had a brief flash of a sunny meadow, children holding hands. He fluttered his feathers and let the image disperse like the smoke from the fire. A trade. Yes, I'm sure she's taught you all about that. She upended a packet of instant coffee into a mug. Do you remember how you first came to her side? He tried, but the further he dipped into his memories, the darker it became. Though his sense of smell was weak, all that came to mind was the scent of apple cider. It's been a very long time, he said. She muttered something in return, but the words were lost in the rapid boiling of the kettle. The switch clicked off, and she poured the steaming water into the mug. Are you looking for a truce? There's a mediator I know in Portland, keeps homing pigeons on the roof of his game stop. A chatty bunch. Very tasty. She swirled the coffee, using her finger instead of a spoon. It did not burn. What needs to be resolved is between us and us alone. She sipped the coffee, her lips tinting red. Pinklewicket scraped at the counter with his talons. And if she doesn't want to resolve it... I've done foolish things out of anger. As a joke. Because I wanted to prove myself. It's been a long time since I've laughed now, and still, if she doesn't... A familiar pity came into her eyes, and he felt the heat of the sun on his back, even though it was night. I'm not the one who will continue to suffer. Then she blinked, and the pity and the heat were gone. She set the mug aside and opened the front door, giving him a clear path. The cat had taken his place at the table, its eyes narrowed and urging him to leave. He spread his wings, ready to take flight, when the other one cleared her throat. I'm Serena, by the way. Has she ever told you who you used to be? A cold feeling fluttered in his chest. Then he flew out the door into the night, soaring to the tops of the trees to orient himself as uncertainty lingered on him like an unwanted spell. Light seeped through the closed green curtains that hung in the upstairs windows. The one on the right had been left open for him, but Pinklewicket waited in the tall poplar across from the driveway, flexing his left wing and waiting for the distasteful memory of Serena, of the other ones, words to fall from him like the changing leaves. He coughed up an owl pellet and, feeling better, seized upon this moment of peace to fly to the window, brushing through the curtain and landing on his perch by the bed. Immediately Alyssa emerged from the bathroom, wet hair wrapped up in a towel and old flannel pajamas hugging her tighter than she'd ever admit. Despite the shower, she smelled of rosemary and blood, and he knew she'd been working in the attic again. Where the hell have you been? He preened his feathers and feigned nonchalance. The usual, out causing havoc and mischief, frightening the hell out of field mice. Did you find me a salamander? Sorry, too cold tonight. I'll look again tomorrow. 
She narrowed her eyes the way she always did when suspicion clouded her thoughts or worry. The way she kept picking at a hangnail on her middle finger told him it was worry. What? Did you think something happened to me? No, she lied. It's the fall wind. I got caught up in it. Lost track of time. He gave an explanation, though one wasn't needed, and wondered if that would seem suspicious. Then he wondered why didn't he just say the truth. Because Serena's words had cast some sort of spell over him. A real one or metaphorical, he couldn't be sure, but he could picture her question hovering over his head, buzzing like an angry bee. Has she ever told you who you used to be? He took a deep breath and fluffed his feathers, pushing the question aside. Alyssa rolled her eyes. I said I wasn't worried. Yeah, right. Of course. He watched her fuzzy rabbit slippers as she crossed the room to close the window and resisted the predatory urge to swoop down and attack them. But you do seem on edge. Why was he pressing? He needed to stop. Forget the conversation ever happened. Ask what was on the Investigation Discovery Channel instead. She paused by the window, staring at the drawn curtain. Her fingers rested on the window sill, tinged blue from the cold. Finally, she turned and grabbed the old maroon sweatshirt from the bed and pulled it over her head, yanking down the sleeves so that they covered her hands. Pinklewicket involuntarily shat on the floor, hitting the newspaper laid around his perch. She moved closer today. I could feel it. He played dumb. She? You haven't... She shook her head. Never mind. Come on. Swamp Murders is new tonight. And fear thy neighbor. Halfway through Swamp Murders, they'd both already guessed it was the ex-boyfriend's dad. Alyssa picked popcorn kernels from her teeth and laughed at the dramatic reenactments. Why can't they ever find actors that look remotely like the real people? This girl is at least twenty pounds lighter, and the guy doesn't even have the same hair color. That's what Serena had reminded him of, Pinklewicket realized. A poor copy of Alyssa. A bad casting of her in a cheap reenactment. You meant the other one, didn't you? Earlier? What does happen if she gets too close? Alyssa kept her eyes fixed on the television screen. Quiet. I'm trying to watch this. No, you're not. You're ruining it! A handful of popcorn flew in his direction, harmlessly hitting his chest and dropping to the floor. He hopped onto the sofa. Watch the upholstery, bird. I will if you answer my question. She glared at him and sunk further into the cushions, but then she answered. The other one ruins everything. She's dangerous, and if we get too close, she'll... She picked one of his feathers from the sofa. I don't know what she'll do. And all that's true? You're not just saying that because she's your sister. Alyssa sat up too quickly. The Tupperware of popcorn nearly fell to the floor. How did you know that? Sunlight in the meadow, the laughter of children, a hand in his. He fluttered his feathers. You told me. When? I don't know. Ages ago. She watched him more intently than when a new Wives with Knives was on, certain that she would question him further. But then a fake gunshot echoed from the TV, redirecting her gaze. He stole a piece of popcorn, then returned to his perch, the shell of a kernel settling unpleasantly in his throat. She watched the show, and he watched her, and for a moment during the commercial break, he thought the world felt different, like it was tilted the wrong way. And then the show resumed, and the moment passed, though it was not forgotten. Alyssa kept her diaries in a low, unlocked cabinet in the kitchen next to the sink. Instead of mismatched Tupperware with missing lids or plastic colanders, she stored stacks of lined journals. 
black, brown, faux leather and real, pink unicorns, colorful geometric squares, whatever fit her fancy at the time. The oldest amongst them had been affected by damp, and mold had consumed half the pages. Pinklewicket had warned her over the years about her lack of proper conservation, but she never gave his warnings much regard. She needn't read them to remember, she said. The act of writing the words gave them power in her mind. Once written, she could recall them at will whether the diaries still existed or not. And once erased by time, no one would remember them but her. She had left a half hour ago as he'd watched from his tree, and it would be some time before she returned. Still, progress was slow as he picked each one out of the cabinet. It was times like these that he wished he had hands. It was hard to delicately sort through private journals with only two clawed feet and a beak, as he slowly extracted each diary, setting them as neatly on the blue linoleum floor as he could, he could almost imagine what it was like to have hands, the feel of gripping something in his fingers, holding it with deftness and ease, like little girls holding hands as they skipped through a meadow, like a memory from a past life. Another diary landed on the floor, dropped by his small beak. He needed the oldest, which he knew she'd shoved deep into the back of the cabinet. When he reached it, he plucked it out gently, fearing the pages might crumble in his hold. There on the floor, he flipped open the cover with his feet. Alyssa held an aversion to dates, and each entry, as he knew it would be, was unmarked. He could only gauge the time frame by the hints in her text. Judging by the condition of the pages, antiquated spellings, and references to horses and carriages, this entry was a few hundred years old. Has she ever told you who you used to be? Pinklewicket's memory only stretched so far. He knew he was older than he had any right to be, but he felt that he had always been an owl. How much memory did regular owls possess anyway? Even in this, the oldest of her diaries, Pinklewicket was mentioned by name and Serena was not. Vague references to old jealousies and heated arguments were scattered throughout the pages. He found a final note on showing the other one who held the real power. Then they moved from Kennebunkport and time moved on. All was as Alyssa had ever told him, and yet here he stood in the kitchen surrounded by her private diaries, which he'd not stacked so neatly after all, prying into the past. Doubt, he thought, was as unflattering quality in owls as it was in humans. The bright afternoon sunlight sweeping through the kitchen windows tired his nocturnal self, and he was tempted to leave the mess as it was, but as slowly as he'd removed them, Pinklewicket returned each diary to the cabinet. It never occurred to him how he had learned to read, or when, not until later. The temptation of sleep called to him, but an urge within pressed him to continue. He could almost hear within the rapid beating of his heart a voice telling him to keep searching, and the voice sounded vaguely like Serena's. As he flew upstairs, he tried to muster the hatred for her that Alyssa had nurtured in him all these years and found he could not. Perhaps it was because now she had a name, and that name conjured memories of honeysuckle and apple rinds, a warm breeze and a kind voice calling him home, cats skimming through ankles as he held up his skirt to climb the porch steps. She had left the attic door down, and why wouldn't she? Pinklewicket never entered the house during the day. He swooped up into the open space in the ceiling, nearly falling from the air from the strength of the smell. He managed to cling to the rafters and gather his bearings. At the best of times, Alyssa couldn't be described as neat, but the state of the attic was dismal even by her standards. The sole tabletop was indistinguishable from the floor, covered in stained paper, blood, bat wings, dirty scales, and vials encrusted with green crud. A pile of small bones, mice and rabbit, 
collected dust in the corner under the eaves. A frantic air held sway in this place, a chaotic moment caught in momentary stillness. In the mess it was difficult even with his sharp eyes to spot the journal. He scooped it from the stool where it lay and brought it to the eaves where he laid it out on the beams, but there was nothing to read. Though he saw her scribbling away every night, these here were only lines on paper, squiggles and scribbles with no pattern, no words, no meaning. Chicken scratch. Tucked into the back page was an old slip of paper torn from a spell book. The complete spell was missing, but as he read what he could, a dark cloud passed over the vision of the meadow, the day cast in gray, cats shrieking, pain in her feet that gnarled her toes, arms stretched wide as if she'd been pulled apart. A car came down the driveway. Pinklewicket returned the journal to the stool and sneaked out through the upstairs bathroom window. Though he did not feel cold, he felt his body shaking, and he hunkered as deep into his nest as he could, trying to think of nothing but remembering the smell of honeysuckle. The bats woke him, zigzagging through the trees to catch mosquitoes, their screeches pinging off his ears. Pinklewicket stretched and flapped his wings, enjoyed the view of dusk falling, the evening's peace belied the turmoil within his mind. He'd suffered dreams as he slept, a rare occurrence, and he understood now why Alyssa often thrashed and called out in her sleep. Or did he? Because although he could not recall with exactness that which he saw while he slept, he'd awoken with a strange feeling, unease and anger, both directed toward Alyssa. She'd taken something from him in the dream, and he could not remember what it was. He flapped his wings, tried to forget and fall into instinct, he swooped down on a mouse and enjoyed the meal up in his nest. It was then that he spotted the figure on the hill. His sharp eyes watched the cat weaving between her legs. If he flew to the house, he knew she would see him. But what choice did he have? He needed to warn Alyssa. As he coasted on the air, words struck him like bullets, as if Serena had spoken directly into his mind. We're running out of time. He stumbled in flight but managed to right himself before he hit the ground. Coming to a stuttering stop on a low tree branch, he shook his head, but a taste of her voice remained, drawing him towards her. It was a spell, he knew that, because even as he knew he should go to Alyssa, have her write what was wrong, once he gathered the strength to fly, his wings took him away from the house and towards the figure on the hill. He landed awkwardly in the grass, a few yards from her feet. You enchanted my wing. I did no such thing. Then why am I here? Because you remember. He made a low hoot, like a laugh. There's nothing to remember. Now stay away from Alyssa. I'm not here for Alyssa. I'm here for you. Pinklewicket didn't want that to be true. No one came for him. He was meant to be a helper, a friend, an aide-de-camp. The background and shadows were his home. Those who came to see him came for Alyssa. And yet he did not fly away. You have started to remember, haven't you? Meadows, children, a darkening sky. No, he lied. The mouse I fed you. It was meant to stir your memories, remind you. He noticed the shadows under her eyes, the lines at the corner of her mouth. She was tired, aged, wearing thin, as his mother used to say. But that was wrong because he'd never known his mother, an egg. Hadn't Alyssa rescued him as an egg? Pinkle wicked! Alyssa approached from the path to his right, stopping at the edge of the grass, Come away from her! But Serena's voice once again changed his direction. You came because you wanted to know. Because you wanted help. I can help you. She's a liar, P. Don't listen to anything she says. 
Everything she's ever told you, she's made you believe it was true. Serena crouched beside him. It was only meant to be a game. A stupid game we would play. But she... But he... Got too fond of his humanity, and now he won't give it back. An invisible blow knocked Serena across the field into a tree. Alyssa remained where she stood, arm outstretched, breathing heavily. The ginger cat ran at her with a hiss, claws bared. Pinklewicket hooted and flew at it, catching its back in his talons. He didn't want to hurt it, so he took it up into the nearest tree, left it hissing and spitting on a branch. He flew down and perched on a rock near Alyssa. He could see something now, something like a shimmer over her features. We have to go, she said. He looked at his own wings, his talons, his feathers, and saw the same shimmer. It's like the world is covered by a film. Serena was rising to her feet now, her straggly blonde hair a veil across her face. The cat mewled pitifully from its prison in the trees. It's a trick. A spell. She's a trickster, P. That's all she is. Serena stumbled as she crossed the field. Words fluttered into Pinklewicket's mind. I showed you where to find the honeysuckle. Mother used to call us home, and we'd laugh, clutching handfuls of it in our palms. What is it? What did she say? Pinklewicket looked between them. Each time Serena spoke, his false memories peeled away like old wallpaper, revealing the true colors beneath. It was only a game. To make you pay for a silly argument, I thought it might teach you a lesson. I was going to switch you back, but then he wouldn't let me. Get out of the way, P. Blood dripped from Serena's ear as she crawled across the grass. I'm so sorry, Alyssa. The truth revealed itself like a waterfall, and anger spurred her flight. She sailed away from her sister and towards the imposter, talons raised, a raw screech emanating from her throat. She latched onto Pinklewicket's borrowed hair, digging for the scalp. A sharp pain in her side dislodged her, and blood stained her false feathers. Pinklewicket gripped a small knife in his fingers, its edge tinged red. She tried to fly at him, but movement deepened the cut and pain tumbled her to the ground before she could catch the air. He stood over her, knife aloft. I like who I am now, P, and we have a good thing going, don't we? Isn't life so much simpler for you now? Better? He licked the blood from the edge of the knife, and her vision blurred, her mind growing hazy. Serena called out, but she could not understand the words. No longer could she move. He produced a small bottle from the pocket of his sweatpants and with one hand held her while the other placed droplets in her eyes. One drop escaped and trickled down her cheek. It smelled of rosemary and blood. You rest now, and I'll take care of the other one. As her vision faded, she saw him cross the field towards Serena, the knife in his hand. The cat in the trees screeched. She tried to call out to it. Don't let me forget. The false memories gathered and wrapped her tight. He woke in his nest, the shadow of a dream still upon him. He tried to thread it together, but the strands fell apart the harder he grasped at them. Then they were gone. Only uncertainty remained, the feeling that there was something he was close to finishing. But nothing came to mind. He shook his head and tried to forget. Dusk had fallen, and Alyssa's open window beckoned. He found her sitting at the vanity table in the bathroom in sweatpants and a loose T-shirt, staring at her face in the mirror. He perched on the sink. Your hair is a mess. Hmm? Oh, I know. Something wrong. 
She tugged at her hair as if it were false, a wig, then dropped her hand. Everything's fine. Come on, our shows are starting. He flew after her down the stairs, noticed the scratch at her hairline as she reached up for the Tupperware of popcorn in the cupboard. Where did you get that? She pulled her hair down over the fresh scar and smiled. Just an unruly spell. Hope you gave better than you got. Oh, I did. I most certainly did. They settled in the living room, her waving him off the couch when he tried to sit. Owls belong on perches. Sorry. They watched the show in companionable silence until, at the commercial break, he heard a cat mewling outside. The world seemed to tilt, and a moment of confusion came over him. He could see the mirrors of the funhouse, the film over his memories, and questions came to him, like bees returning to the hive. Then Alyssa increased the volume on the TV, and the sound of the cat vanished. The commercial break ended. The show returned. Lauren A. Forey, a frequent contributor to Brick Moon Fiction, was brought up in the woods of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where her FBI agent father and book-loving mother raised her on a diet of the X-Files and R.L. Stein. She earned her MFA in creative writing from Kingston University in London, and was awarded the Faber and Faber Creative Writing M.A. Prize for her first horror novel, The Compulsion. Her debut novel, Abigail Hall, a psychological thriller, is available from Black and White Publishing. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or visit us at our webpage, brickmoonfiction.com.